Welcome to WLNM, the web novel and manga review hosted by Zeke Changuris. Welcome to WLNM, the web light novel and manga review. We are dedicated to bringing our listeners the very special artists, writers, creators, and industry professionals that are part of this amazing independent movement of writing and entertainment. We'd like to welcome today sci-fi and fantasy author Yakov Merkin, uh, author of Greater Duty, Looming Shadow, Shifting Alliance, Ancient Stirring, Dragon Hand, and his most recent work, Light Unto Another World. So welcome, uh, welcome Yakov. Thank you for having me. So um, tell me, uh, you've done, a, you've you've settled in sci-fi and fantasy as your favorite uh, genre to explore. What drew you? to sci-fi and fantasy well part of it is just it's what i grew up enjoying i mean and the reason for that is just a lot of you know opportunities for creativity and just imagining things that either could be or might one day be whether it's you know obviously sci-fi and fantasy are kind of often go different directions in regard to that but i mean just those really just fun stories and so i grew up and been watching a lot of star trek you know reading things like lord of the rings that Wheel of time and uh, so all that kind of stuff just captured my imagination from a very young age. And I read uh, a lot when I was little. And at some point near, um, I guess near the end of grade school, I started getting the idea to write. And around the beginning of college is when I decided that's really what I want to do. And that's when I started taking it seriously. And then in about I think 2017 is when I put out my first book. And since then I put out eight, well, actually no, nine now. And uh, I've got another four hopefully coming over the course of this year. So, so this uh, working in the working in genre fiction, um, uh, it has some. To me, I, I've never been a have a problem with when people involve tropes in their works because that's what if you don't have this framework, if you don't have these recognizable. Uh, situations you it's you don't have a genre but do you find yourself working to uh, I guess it's hard uh, frankly it's hard to be original when you know storytelling's been around for about 10,000 years so do you find it hard to come up with uh, uh, distinct ideas let's use that word distinct ideas I don't think it's been that hard at least so far I mean I think it's important differentiation to be made between tropes and cliches because tropes like you said they're kind of what makes a genre a genre and you to some extent need at least a certain amount of those tropes to be present in the story you want to tell in order to appeal to the you know the largest part of the audience of that genre whereas i think when you get to like cliches is where things get to be where it gets to be seen as more overdone or lazy and that's what people have a problem with but often i think tropes and cliches kind of get uh, conflated and people consider them to be the same thing where and i don't think that's the case so you need to have and you could be original by you know you have the tropes as like you know the background or things to make it familiar and then you could include your own ideas or your own little spin on things to make your story unique all right um you said you started playing around with the uh, idea of writing your own original works um a little out a little after elementary school maybe uh, maybe middle school or junior high depending on what system you guys are in um so 
is is there any of those uh stories that you came up with that stick out in your head as either yeah this was a great idea or this is almost too embarrassing to tell people about uh well it depends what you mean by that because then you're the initial draft i wrote of like my first story i did way back when uh was pretty terrible and it's never going to see the light of day but that story over the years i did end up refining it and rewriting it until it became a greater duty which was my first book so i mean a lot of the the essence of that like the basics of that story and the, the cat and the main characters were from that original idea that i had but much or most of the story around them and obviously the writing style uh, changed dramatically over the course of, I guess, maybe a decade or so until I, you know, finally finished a full first draft of that and then eventually, you know, planned out the entire series and then, you know, in 2017 started releasing the. So, um, <clears throat> now, and like you said, you know, like I repeat frequently, um, uh, on this podcast that, uh, I find no shame in anybody who ever lifted material aka fanfic because it's just like when your teacher gave you a prompt in school and said here's the first paragraph tell me how the story ends uh did you explore any of that in your early days not much i mean i was on like a, a forum back you know back i guess in the early 2000s when that was still a popular thing to do and there were like some like role play um like you know sections of that forum where it was related I mean, it wasn't i think it was specifically just one uh, show related setting or anything like that, but we did I did a little bit of that, and some of some of that I did actually use some of the characters or ideas that eventually became my first my first book and my first series. So I mean, I guess it's the closest I really came. I think I might have written a couple, a couple of little stories, but I don't really. That's been I don't even know if I still have those files anymore. <laughs> but I never I never did a whole lot of it because once I started getting my own idea, I was like, well, if I have my own ideas. I'm going to write my own ideas and not try and play in somebody else's universe because it, i can't sell that so right 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 that that makes sense um yeah. i have found over the years though uh, either through fanfic or role-playing like rpgs um tabletop especially dungeons and dragons especially that people who um took part in either role-playing games like that or wrote fan fiction kind of use that as their uh sandbox yeah, a place a where place they they threw some ideas and worked on how to either be creative with their storytelling or work on things like dialogue and setting because they had a, a broader framework to work with and it wasn't so intimidating. Um, it was easier to say what if than it was, okay, I have a blank sheet in front of me. So, yeah, yeah I understand that. I know, I mean, there are a few. And more than a few, you know, authors who end up being very successful who got their start in fan fiction, you know, for a reason because it does, like you said, it does give you an easy place to really practice some of the fundamentals while not having to really start from scratch. Yeah, and uh, definitely, I, mean, I never played. I never really got a chance to do much tabletop role playing because I never had a group that I could really do that with. I did mostly Magic the Gathering. Okay. Um, so which is obviously not quite the same, but you know, yeah. still obviously you know, still fantasy, and I still read all the books back when they still made. A lot of books and there's uh, i mean that was an influence also for at least some of my uh ideas some of my, i mean the dragon hand i think is which is my first fantasy book that i wrote that one definitely takes some you know heavy inspiration from certain aspects of magic the gathering at least in some you know not not in terms of like the setting necessarily but in some of the ideas that ended up becoming that story 
So thinking of, uh, thinking of inspiration, um, what kinds of things uh, inspire you to write? Is it, do you see like the everyday things and then put them through your writer's filter? Uh, do you, or are you more of a mechanical, I'm going to write today between X hour and this hour, and I'm going to sit down at my computer and put some words down and I don't know if they're going to be good or not, but I'm going to put something out, which, which is, guess, are you, yeah. Are you more inspirational? Yeah, I kind of fall, no, I kind of fall, I guess, I mean, more on the side of, you know, I'm a planner, right? I'm planning my stuff pretty much ahead of time. Like all of my books are outlined before I start, you know, the outlines vary in how complex they are, but I mean, I wish I could be, you know, organized enough to like have you know, set hours to write every day, but I try to write something every day. And I'm always working on a specific project, whether it's the series I'm writing now or whether it's revising, you know, volumes or other books that I've previously finished that need to be edited or whether it's outlining something new or getting the initial planning uh, of uh, a new project going on. Because I think that's what helps me a lot actually when I ever get stuck somewhere, the best thing for me to do is just take a break and work on another project for a little while and then get back to the initial project. Uh, so are, yeah. are you, are, so you're a big outliner. You like to know exactly where your story is going or are you? Yeah, I like having, yeah, I like having my, my roadmap because uh, it helps me, I mean, for me, it helps me be more uh, productive once I actually sit down to write because I know, you know, what needs to happen at least in a general sense in this chapter. And I don't, I know some authors outline much more uh, extensively than I do where they have, you know, like, like I need to have like you know, pages and pages of outline for one chapter. Whereas for me, I have maybe a page or a few power, a paragraph or two just to know, you know what needs to happen in a general sense and like the, main, you know, the main elements. And then I just go from there because that gives me some room to be a little like, to be a little bit creative on the fly while also having my, my plan to follow, just keep myself on track and not, uh, not get too far, of course. So you, you leave yourself a little room for the discovery process while you're writing. Yeah, I, think I, I, I know there are a lot of authors describe the difference between um, like more discovery writing and outline writing as like architect versus like versus gardener. Yes. And I like to, I like to describe myself as like an architect and as a gardener on top of the building. <laughs> very modern of you, you know, very, very urban yeah. planner. Let's put gardens on all the rooftops which actually makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. Well, but, and it looks nice too. If it's not yes, nice. I, it, it insulates, it provides, uh, it doesn't reflect the sun's heat. Yeah, there are all sorts of advantages to that. Yeah. Um, so in, the, in that process, uh, even though you've outlined it, do your, dis at the times when you are doing discovery, have you found yourself ever like veering off that roadmap that you laid out to begin with be like yeah this is a uh, yeah, much better idea uh sometimes i mean it's usually not like anything major like i'm not like completely changing the direction of the story but like maybe um like how i get from point a to point b or point c could alter a little bit based on based on what i know i want to do later or anything that i changed previously and that's probably why i can't really outline more than a few books ahead of the series because a small change in like let's say book book five, all of a sudden that has you know, that majorly impacts the outline if I want to do one for book ten. So I really need to like 
like I think I can only outline as my book for this my current series up to five books ahead because I realized at that point it's just too far ahead to really plan beyond you know, the bare bones of of like plot and what needs to happen over over the whole book. So, so yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's ever really like taken me in a direction I didn't expect. At least not in like a, a story ultimate way. At least not yet. I think this is why authors understand time travel because we know once you pluck at a thread, the domino effect that can happen way down the line. And I think that's why a lot of authors understand time travel theories because they're like, yeah, if I had changed this one thing in the beginning of my book, I would have had to change this and this and this and this. Yeah. You can create your own little butterfly effect that and for me, and for me, I, I, have, I have a degree in history, so I spent a lot of time reading and studying history. So I could see a lot of that. You know, just looking at history of, of major events, you could look back and see what smaller events before that precipitated it, and what you know how it snowballed or how everything led to the other thing, and then we got this big event. So I think that also is part of what helps me be able to you know plan my writing and stuff because I have I had a lot of experience looking at cause and effect. And, uh, and seeing how things play out like that. So um, tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Light Unto Another World, um, your most recent, uh, your most recent uh, work that you've put out there. What are we looking at? Uh, well, yeah. well, it's my first foray into like uh, light novels or anime style lack of a better term, uh, stories, because I got in 2019, it was when I got back into watching anime after you know, over a decade of not really watching anything. And it would just end up being a lot of fun. And I watched a bunch of shows, mostly fantasy shows. I mean, um, like um, most of them ended up being uh, isekai fantasy, because that's bulk That's of a very popular fantasy genre right at the moment, yes. Yeah, and also, but also some that were you know, more fan, you know, more straight up fantasy like I me. Mean, I think the first anime I watched when I got back, back into things was Goblin Slayer, which obviously uh, is a very Dungeons and Dragons inspired um, yes. fantasy show. Yes, so, very, uh, very Dungeons and Dragons inspired and very. Um, uh, were you uh, were you aware enough or plugged in enough to see the fan fervor over the first episode? Yeah, I think that's part of what got me to watch it in the first place. Because I saw everybody talking about it. I was like, you know what? I haven't watched an anime in forever. Everybody's arguing or discussing this. So I might as well check it out. And then I checked it out. And then I guess I never left. Again. Well, it's good that, but, you know, uh, a positive uh, a positive for the uh, business happened there. Because, yeah, that was a yeah. fun little time where people were like, oh, my God, how can you show this? And I'm like, read the book. It's worse. Yeah, that's what I hear. I haven't read. The, I haven't read the source material, but that's what I hear. I mean, in a lot of cases where they have, you know, where anime are controversial in that sense, often the source material is even worse than what gets put on TV. Yeah. So, um, all right. So it's it's yeah, uh, like in a sekai uh, story. Um, what can you tell us about the plot without giving away the giving away the shop? Yeah, without giving too much away. I mean, the, the bare bones of the plot is. Um, an Israeli soldier, um, like just an average soldier, one day gets pulled through a portal into a fantasy world, and he immediately, you know, needs to figure out, you know, what's going on. Number one, number two, what he's going to be doing on this world, and if there is a way back, because like we said, when he first shows up, he kind of ends up in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around you, and he has to just start walking to see if there's anybody even on this world. 
before he runs into people and then he you know gets involved in in things going on on this world and things that gets heavily involved and things escalate um a lot i mean especially once you get to book two and book three which will be coming out later this year i mean things really start to escalate almost beyond his control but i guess by that point he decides just you know, just to ride the lightning and just go with what's going on and you know do what he what he believes is the right thing to do and you know help people who he could help i mean part of what i wanted to do with this series because i mean i that i watch a bunch of of at least the more recent isekai anime and one of the things that i mean while they're still fun most of the time one thing that did annoy me a little bit is that the main characters are often which i think it's an, it is intentional but they're often very like blank slate type of characters and they're very reactive characters you know they just are told to do a thing or that they're you know they're told that this is where they are and they just they don't really make decisions like for themselves in terms of what their goal is on this world and things like that so i wanted a character when i created my story who was very much his own person and who has a very has a very proactive approach to things like who you know will see a problem and decide i'm going to solve this problem and if you try and get in my way then i'm going to go through <laughs> so um one of the things that <laughs> jumps out for me with a, a lot of uh a Sakai stories is that there are the ones that feel like they, they are complete farce. I mean, like another world with my smartphones and yeah. things like that, where it's just like, let's years ago, the sci-fi channel used to show like basically like a movie of the week and it'd be like yeah. shark to puss or <laughs> things like that. And it's like, you just put some words in a blender. <laughs> and yeah, just the lowest effort. Yeah. Let's see what comes out. And sometimes they seem almost farcical. And then you have the actual farces, where which are like Konosuba, which is yeah. a true farce yes. about a set guy. And then you have more hardcore things like uh, Tanya the Evil, which yeah. is um, yeah, it, it, which is yeah, a much it's... more hardcore look or. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's a different type of setting altogether also. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. Grim, Grimgar, Fantasy, and Ash, which is just absolutely guttural um, yeah. with its depiction of life, of being like tossed into a place you don't understand. So, yeah, it's it, it's interesting to see where people decide to go with it. And, and a lot of it, I think, I wonder if there's a way to connect personal experiences of the writers i mean is are they looking for escapism or are they looking for something that leans more into a i guess in a way you're thinking it's a sci-fi it's kind of a sci-fi influence when you go a little bit more realistic and yeah in i guess because you have i mean you have a lot of directions i mean that's part of the reason why i like i mean science fiction and fantasy overall but also isekai or i mean portal fantasy which has been around i mean since I mean, narnia or before which is i mean essentially the same concept where people from our world alice in another world alice in wonderland like, yeah so there's just there's just so much you could do with it and then that's why it kind of you know can get frustrating when so many go to the lowest common denominator and then just change you know one like, tiny thing or they just try and you know just kind of um like subvert everything about their genre because that's all they could think to do is just reverse, you know, the norm yes. versus, you know, just taking versus what I'm trying to do is take, 
what is fun about the genre and like you know the general setting and just some of the tropes of it, but also put a little different spin on it to make it my own and to make it you know a little different from from the the bog standard that we have with a lot of things right now. Yeah, what would be like a you're you're taking the setting and you're being like, what would be a more realistic approach? You're thinking what they're thinking like what if what if this person this type of person you know was actually sent to this other world what how would he react how would he adapt how would what would he decide to do once he starts figuring out what's going on and just go from there so i guess kind of like you know also a different type of character than you see in most like you said most of them tend to be like the more blank state you know like the shut-in types yeah you know don't have any life experiences whereas you know my character i mean he doesn't have He's not like you know some crazy you know competent. He's not like some war hero. He's just you know a guy who was doing zombie service yeah. for the last year or so. So he has you know much more knowledge and you know different skills than most people in that same position you know in a, this isekai position would have. But he's not he's not some kind of extreme Superman. And also also when he gets to the fantasy world, he doesn't get like an overpowered type of ability, which is also another trope that kind of gets a little tiresome sometimes because it makes things too easy for characters. So I wanted to give him, I gave him a magical ability that has its uses, but it requires him to be creative because like being creative with magic is a lot of fun, you know, both to yeah. read and to write. Yeah, I, I've read a lot of Brandon Sanderson books and that's something that he likes to, um, like to talk about a lot with his magic system is that it's more interesting what the magic can't do versus what it can do because it forces the writer and the characters to be creative in how they solve their problems with it as opposed to just relying on it as a crutch for everything and also and also requires him as things get you know more crazy to have to rely more on his on his you know supporting cast essentially um, as opposed to just being able to do everything himself and so that also makes it you know makes those characters like, like presences more important and more interesting yeah it forces you to flesh out the supporting roles and yeah. make them make them a little bit more grounded and relevant to the story. Yeah. So thinking of well, whether your magic system or not, I mean, have you ever do you find yourself writing yourself into a corner and thinking, well, I've set these rules. How do I get out of it? Uh, I don't think that's happened yet, in large part because I outline. So I know is in terms of the big events, you know, how they're going to get out of things. So I have it all planned ahead that I could, if need, if I need to set something up, I could set it up um, or leave it up, you know, any hints earlier on somewhere or also just, you know, just generally make sure that the, you know, the scenario is set up that there is a way out without needing to, you know, change or break the rules that I've already set up. So again, it's part of the reason why outlining appeals to me so much because it, I don't run into those problems. So uh, do you do, even with all the prep work, um, do you find yourself doing uh, multiple, uh, multiple drafts? Are you like a heavy draft person or do you think you, do you usually knock it out in one or in uh, two drafts or three drafts? No, the, the more that I've written, the fewer drafts I end up doing. So like my more recent books, I've been doing one draft then I'll you know, go and revise it once on my own. I mean, I got to also make notes as I go for something that I need to go back and address or, or add in. So I'll do that myself. And then I have um, a really good beta reader who also, you know, often, you know, if he finds any, you know, I guess straight up edits that need to be done, he'll often he'll mention that to me also. 
So I get, you know, some feedback on it. And then based on that feedback, I go uh, and revise it one more time. And then at that point, again, pending a final spell check or whatever, I'm usually just ready to go at that point, just declare it done. Because I know it's, it's very easy to fall into the revision trap of just constantly revising and it never gets finished. So I just want to just get stuff, get stuff done, get stuff out with obviously putting in necessary effort, you know, to make sure it's quality. Well, yeah, I mean, I cannot, there's, it, I think that goes with a lot of artists that revision trap. I mean, they say technically the Mona Lisa has never been finished because Da Vinci just kept repainting the same thing again and again and again and again. And you've got layers upon layers of different uh, images underneath one uh on one canvas because he keep re keeps revi kept revising it and i think that goes for a lot of writers too that you just sometimes you have to type the words the end <laughs> yeah and, and accept that it's never going to be a hundred percent perfect because we're only human and like expecting that you could somehow refine it to be some kind of magical perfect book is like not going to happen because it's never going to appeal to everybody anyway so you're always going to have people who don't like it it's like the you know to the level of you know hate could vary obviously but you're never going to make you're never going to have you know everyone's never going to be your fan and you're never going to you could always go back to a previous book and nitpick yourself to death of like things that really don't matter but you could make it feel like it matters in your brain and so i mean that's also why i really once the book is out like unless i need to go back and check something to make sure i have things straight for future books I really don't reread my books. I, mean, I reread them, you know, several times while I'm writing it. But once it's out, I usually don't go back and look at it again because this just gives me the opportunity to like second guess myself constantly, and I don't want to. <laughs> you, you don't want to be um, you don't want to be George Lucas and be like, oh, you know what? I should have done this in Star Wars the first time. Yeah. Let's let's reshoot that. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing really frustrating when uh, a writer or. Or a director or whatever decides to do that because it also impacts, I guess, you know, the authenticity of the art because if you just keep changing it and what's the real version? What's the, like everybody who knows Star Wars, like that's what it was. But if you change it now, so like it's you know, raising it to question which is the real version, which is the one we should consider. Like George you know, Lucas puts out the it. NFT of Star Wars. <laughs> 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 Uh, well, think about I, I think about it in the um, in the way that you know every uh, overnight success takes ten years. Uh, John Grisham, for one, I mean, there's a great story that he tells about uh, having a box of uh, a time. I think it was like a time to kill, or or the firm in the back of his truck, in the back of his car, and he going around to booksellers walking in with books and being like, this is what it's about. Would you like to put it on the shelf? And having an entire box, also the trunk leaked and like ruined, you know, uh, several dozen copies of his first edition of his first book. And he's like, I just had to pitch him in the trash. And it was heartbreaking because, yeah, you know, you put all that time and effort into it and have it printed and you had to pitch them because they were all damaged especially when you're working so hard to drive, get people to put it on their yeah. shelves. So yeah, 
you know, a, a little different now that we can direct publish, but yeah, I, I can't imagine going yeah. from door to door saying, hey, please read my book. Please yeah, well, it's still, a, it's still a struggle to get the books in front of, you know, enough eyes that you could start, you know, selling a lot because it doesn't matter how good the book is if you can't market it yes. well enough and you can't get it in front of enough because if you get it in front of 100 people, you could expect maybe one or two to buy it realistically. So you need to be getting it in front of as many people as possible to then hopefully find at least, you know, a sizable enough poor audience that it can really start to grow. I mean, fortunately, my stuff has been growing overall. I mean, I've been doing Kickstarters for my books and the one I did for my current series, Find Another World, was my most successful uh, by, by order of like, classes were successful as my previous one, but it's still a struggle on, I mean, especially on Amazon. I mean, Amazon ads seem to just be a waste of money for me and a lot of people that I talk to and just, you know, trying to figure out you know, the ways to get in front of more people who who would enjoy it, and uh, it just takes a lot of a lot of work that writers don't like because we want to write the books, we don't want to be marketing the books, but there's no way around. But the question is, even if you only had one reader, would you write? Oh yeah, I can't. I can't stop myself at this point. Like, and especially if I could manage at least you know cover my production costs. Yeah. Where my, my point of my Kickstarters are to cover the production costs of my projects. Like, I mean, then at least I'm not losing anything from it. And I could at least you know, afford to keep putting stuff out and, you know, try and, man, try and work on growing it. Like I said, it's been growing it's much slower than I would like, but that's why I have a day job uh, for now. And just keep putting things out, keep working on new products. I have another project. I mean, at least one or two other projects that are in various stages now, you know, preparation or, I'm actually working on a, on a manga project that I hope to start moving sometime next year that I'm getting concept art done for right now. So, so you well just just checking. So you're yeah. you're you're hiring out your artwork and you're not some sort of yeah. secret spectacular manga artist. Oh, no. And, no, okay. That'd be really that'd be really convenient if I could do it all myself. I, I wish I wish I could too. I mean, I outlined an entire mm -hmm. uh, manga, like what every frame would say, and then I found out how much it would cost to <laughs> hire someone to draw it yeah. i was like well that that maybe i'll turn that into prose <laughs> yeah that's yeah and I, that's why kickstarter exists as a way to try and raise you know the funds to be able to produce things like that because like i know a bunch of people who have done pretty well for themselves or in indie comics and things like that so i mean it, it is doable it's just obviously a lot of work and uh not easy at all so that's why I'm taking, especially with the with the manga project, I'm taking it, you know, very slowly. Like I'm just getting, like, character concept art done now, and then, like, I'm not even gonna get that project really rolling until I get out the next batch of like another world books, um, like probably early next year, hopefully, um, but as long as I keep my writing schedule on well, pace. How do you, thinking of that that more nitty gritty part, because uh, face it, uh, yeah. a, a big part of my audience is writers themselves. Um, yeah. our writers themselves how do you manage your time i mean how do you someone you know lack of a better thing it, it, i think it comes down to priorities um my favorite one of my favorite quotes of all time was actually from john paul ii someone asked the pope he's like when he said you know i pray four hours a day and someone's like how do you find the time to pray four hours a day and the pope's like because i pray four hours a day it's about priorities for him. That was a priority. It wasn't something extra he was doing. It was what he was doing. So 
how do you find that time to put effort, put that into your books? Um, well, I wish I was more efficient. I mean, my time management skills definitely need some work, but I mean, part of it is just, this is what, this is what I know I want to do. Hopefully, you know, long-term as my career, eventually, whether it takes you know, another year to get to that point or the five years or 10 years, this is what I want to do. And the only way to do that is to keep putting out new books as, as often as I can, obviously without compromising the quality. So I just, you know, I, I know that I have things I need to get done and I just you know, need to, I mean, some days are better than other days in terms of making the right amount of time to work on it, but just, you know, getting at least something done every day and obviously having the outlines helps because I could then, you know, have like easy, like start and stop points. Like I could say, okay, I want to finish this chapter today or this chapter, you know, by tomorrow. And then I could know, okay, if I do this, then I'm on pace to finish this volume by, by next month. And then I could finish the next one with another month and a half and just to keep myself moving constantly so that I don't, you know, I don't stagnate and I don't get, you know, too distracted from things and then have trouble getting back into it. But like you said, it really just has come down to priority because like I said, I know I want to do this as a career, not just as a hobby. And the only way to really do that, especially as an indie author, is to be constantly writing, constantly releasing stuff and just keeping and, you know, constantly coming up with new projects and occasionally bigger projects that you want to try and, you know, up the game a little bit. And, uh, you know, because it really, it really just comes out to just keeping moving, I think. Okay. It's kind of like that, a perpetual motion. You just got to keep yeah. moving forward. So is there anything else you'd like to tell me about or tell us about today, me and the listeners? Um, about what, about the, the books? or About books that... or writing? Do you have a piece of advice or a nugget of uh, knowledge that you'd like to lay down at our um, feet? Well, apart from the fact that outlining even if it's a very basic outline, it's a good idea. I mean, also one thing that's helped me a lot in terms of not necessarily the writing, but in terms of getting the books produced and everything is to, like when you find an artist or somebody to work with, you know, try and make it fun for them too. Like you make it, make it a good business relationship because, you know, they, they want to enjoy the project too and they're creative also. So like whenever I give my artists like details for a new cover or a new internal illustration, like I always do leave some room a little whenever possible for them to be creative or like I don't necessarily expect, you know, 100% of, you know, exactly what I had in my mind to be on the page because what matters most is that it looks good and it, you know, is at least is, uh, matches enough what needs to be portrayed. And then, then the artist enjoys the process if an artist is, you know, like, slogging through it because you're constantly asking them to change things or constantly you're bugging them about things it just becomes not fun for them and fortunately uh up to this point every artist that i've worked with have had a good relationship with and it's been able to like very you know cooperative and you know, they said they seem to enjoy the projects and the artist i'm currently using for flight into another world he's the same artist i'm gonna use when i do my manga project also because his art's really good and i like working with him and he likes working with me. So I really like being able to, I guess, cultivate these relationships to be able to be, you know, long-term, not just for one series. I'm an artist for my first book series. I'm not doing any more books right now that require that art style. But when I do, I'm going to go back to him again because I like working with him and be somebody that I, that I want to, whose art I want and also someone who I, who I want to support because 
they've shown him, he's shown himself to be a really a reliable artist and everything. Because I know there's, there are issues people have occasionally with artists who are not reliable and then things get, get nasty and everybody, everybody hates that. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I mean, I have a, a artist I work with and we've developed a good relationship and I love just supporting her as an artist yeah. because she's done um, good work for me. And I think that it's important that we, we kind of spread the love when we can with other uh, independent creators. Yeah. Especially with artists. I mean, like maybe people don't realize it, but I mean, artists have as much trouble, you know, making a career out of their art as writers do, at least in a general sense. So they also can, you know, could definitely use the support on you know, you know, having your series out there and then people get to see their art and get to learn who they are and then find them if, if they're if they want to be on social media and not every artist necessarily wants to be on there which may not be a bad idea for sometimes but yeah they really want to be able to like you know give recognition that these artists deserve because like especially especially often the artists that like independent authors could afford even though they're really really skilled they're often like kind of journeyman artists who you know have been you know doing art for a long time but they never really got to that point where they could be a real you know a huge success for one reason or the other and it just gives them another chance to put some more stuff out there and get some more work and then everybody wins because yeah. i i, I, no I agree i mean supporting uh creators is one of the things that i live for uh and I want to thank you for talking to me and uh, the rest yeah. of the viewers today about thank your you books and about me. your process. And I hope our listeners, if you haven't subscribed, take time to subscribe to WLNM, where we hope to continue to highlight the best independent creators have to offer. Until next time, keep reading. This has been a WLNM podcast.